This program is made possible by the friends and partners of Curator Ministries. Welcome back to the table, everybody. I am Pastor Maria. I am in the studio today with my producer, Sam, my son, who is home from college, Marshall, and my husband, Doug. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Marshall, you're home for a Christmas break. Um, how was your first semester? You got one semester under your belt. How's it feel? Uh, it feels pretty good. Um, a lot of learning. That's about it. Yeah? Was it what you thought it would be? I thought it'd be harder. Really? Yeah. That's a good sign. Yeah. That's a good sign. That's a great sign. Well, last week we actually had uh, Pepal on the show, and we talked a little bit about the Christmas story and talked about um, Matthew's angle of the Christmas story and talked about what he, what, um, what, what, Part of what facet of God he was trying to um, show his reader. Um, one thing that, that jumped out at me as I was kind of researching for today is, if you think about it, guys, when we talk about <clears throat> Jesus and, and we try to introduce, introduce Jesus to a non-believer, we always call him the good news. It's the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, right? Um, and I think that we do a really good job of explaining what the good news is. And the good news is anything that you'll find in the epistles um, after Jesus' birth, death, resurrection, right? So we know that the good news is that he came to redeem us from the law of sin and death. We know that he came to redeem us back into this relationship with God. Um, but I don't know that we do a really good job of understanding that there had to be bad news for there to be a necessity for good news. And I don't think that we do a really good job of diving into Old Testament uh, works and figuring out what was the bad news that Jesus came to answer. And so Doug and I had this conversation with you, Marshall, a couple weeks back. And it seems like your age demographic specifically um, seems to be the fall off point, right? So you have kids who are raised in a Christian home that they're their parents make him go to church, right, up to a certain point. Um, and then you have adults who maybe were never um, um, introduced to Christ that will come to come to the faith later on in life on their own accord. But there is this demographic um, after it seems like high school on, early 20s, that that's when you start making the choices for yourself. Like either I'm going to adhere to this to this gospel, or I'm going to believe it and walk it out if I've been taught it for myself, um, or I'm going to be introduced to it either on a college campus or through some sort of media outlet, and either I'm going to reject it or I'm going to accept it. And there seems to be a large breakdown in communication with that demographic um, of people just not um, – identifying with the message or it's not it's not it's not it's not settling with them does that make sense um marshall do you have any insight because I, I tell you churches spend an incredible amount of money trying to figure out how to package the gospel to your age demographic and made it make it relatable um would you have any insight as to why there is that breakdown with your age group um well i suppose it's a fear of being judged, I guess. Mm. I think they don't realize fully what a church is. Mm. Um, I think it's them not wanting to be judged or 
like they're being looked down upon. By people? Their, yeah, like, maybe because if, like, oh, well, I've made these bad decisions, um, comparatively to everyone around me when they're at church, that, you know, maybe they feel like they're not going to get the same treatment, I guess, or maybe they feel less than, mm-hmm. um, and they just don't want to be put in that position. So, do you think that that overrides any value they would find with having a relationship with God? Like, that also seems to be an issue, too, is we can't seem to articulate the value, even, of what it means to have a relationship with God. Can you repeat that, please? Yeah. So, I think, if I remember when I was your age, and I grew up in a Christian, a Christian household, but I remember there was a, there was a moment when I was in college where my faith became my own. Right, growing up in a, in a Christian household in the Bible Belt, Southern West Virginia, um, what salvation meant to me was a ticket out of hell. It wasn't it wasn't a entrance into anything other than an exit out of something. Does that make sense? Your experience, Marshall, may be very different than mine, but that was my experience coming up. Um, you know, if you if you weren't saved, you were going to go to hell. And so I remember getting saved, quote unquote, thinking, "Whew, okay, we'll dust the flames off." You know, at least I dodged that bullet. Um, but life for me didn't really change. Does that make sense? Um, and there was a point in college where I um, had an encounter with God that things literally changed like my outlook changed the way i wanted to live my life changed because up to that point it hadn't um i literally at that point saw the value in a relationship with god outside of what it just self-served me of getting out of getting out of hell does that make sense um and i don't know that we're doing a great job of showing that facet of god like there is a value in having a relationship with god um, more than just this self-serving gospel. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, you have to choose to have a relationship with God. You can't force them into that. I mean, mm-hmm. they have to have the ambition to do that. Um, obviously, going to church is going to help that, but, I mean, you can't force them to have a relationship. If they don't want to, they're not going to. Right. So, I mean, it just it all depends on them. Right. Well, I've been thinking a lot about that. I've been thinking about a lot about this, you know, the good news story. And I've been thinking a lot about the counter to that, which was the bad news story that happened all the way back in Genesis. Um, because unless you, I'm just going to be honest, unless you are a, a mother um, who has carried a child, you don't understand that there is something about an incubation process. So whenever I had um, all four of my children, um, I don't know if it was a good thing or a bad thing, but for nine months, I got to experience this child um, that shared my body with me that was completely reliant on me, that I was already in charge of protecting, providing for, nurturing, um, that my husband could not yet. So though each one of my children has a birth date, the date that, that they were introduced to the world, right? And that was the day they were introduced to their father and he could become the patriarch at that point and start his job, right? There was a nine month incubation period that it was that I got to experience that, that though their birth date was a certain day, the promise of a child that God gave me was fulfilled the day they were conceived in me. And I got to walk that experience out for nine months, right? So when we talked last week about 
the the Christmas story. Everyone picks the Christmas story up um, on on the day that he was born, right in the Bethlehem and and this and that. But the Christmas story started in conception way back in Genesis when there was a promise to a a promise of the good news for an answer to the bad. Does that make sense? That's kind of what I want to scratch at um, a little bit today. Now, last week we talked about Matthew, and we talked about how Matthew was an outcast, and so the lens of everything that he was going to kind of filter things through when it came to his readers, he wanted you to see the Gospels all-inclusive. It was literally for everyone. It was for the uneducated. It was for the educated. It was for the elite. It was for the marginalized. It was literally for everyone. Um and so everything that he talks about will will kind of point you back in that direction, right? And so it started out talking about the record of the genealogy of Christ. That was the very first thing Matthew talked about that. We went into that in depth last week. Um, and then the very next thing it talks about was how an angel appears to Joseph um, in this story. Um, and if you can remember the story, obviously you have a betrothal. So you have a legal contract between these two these two um, individuals, um, and Mary turns up pregnant. Um, now, through the law and through their faith, this was a punishable by death offense. Um, having um, marriage outside of wedlock was punishable by death, and so she turns up pregnant, and she comes, and she obviously has confessed this to. Um, her betrothed and it said that he was a righteous man and i'm going to underline the word and he was a righteous man and he did not want to expose her to public disgrace so that that tells me a lot about um about joseph it tells me he was righteous righteous as well as compassionate um at this point he doesn't hasn't been given the information this was an immaculate conception he just thinks that this was a mistake that she was unfaithful um and he could have had a hardened heart towards her he could have been um vile towards her i mean basically it's come she's basically coming to him and saying listen you know i know what this looks like this looks like i've cheated um but do you know what i mean and we talked about last week how that would have been a very hard sell and clearly he didn't buy it because his first inclination was to give her a divorce quietly um so not to put her through any public disgrace um so he's going to kind of step away from the situation um and um release her from this agreement um and it says that after he had come to this conclusion um this conclusion of doing the right thing the right way Right, because there's something about doing the right thing the right way, and Doug and I, you've talked to, talked a lot about this when we talk about like people on the corner with air horns, blow, you know, yelling at air horns, the gospel at people, turn or burn, or you know what I mean? What the it's the right thing in the wrong way, right? You're trying to deliver the good news, this message in the in the worst possible way. There's something to that. So he's trying to do the right thing the right way. Um, and this angel appears to him and gives him this confirmation. Listen, what she says is truth. This has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. Um, gives him, you know, directive on what to name the child and tell you know, don't 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 fear. Don't have it. Don't don't be fearful to bring her um, in as your wife that, that you are part of this process. And what's interesting to me is that. The way this is worded, 
Joseph had a choice. And so I'd like to look at the Christmas story today as, as just a litany of choices that we can make. Um, he had a choice to be a part of this, to partner with God. Um, he could have chose not to. Because really what, what this angel and what God is asking him is like, I'm going to need you to check your pride, um, to walk life out with integrity. Because remember, though he may have gotten this realization that this was an immaculate conception, the community did not. And so he was always at that point going to ha- come to realize that I'm, gonna, I'm going to be the father of a child that's not mine. Um. People are probably going to scuttlebutt and talk about me and my wife and, and this child. Um, the face of my family will not look the way that I wanted it to look. When I was dreaming up what this was going to be like, this was not in this was not the storyline. Um, that sometimes when we choose to ha- to accept this good news, sometimes that means we have to check our pride to walk life out with integrity. Does that make sense? And so that's the space that he's in. And I, I often wonder how different this would have been if Joseph would have ran. Because a lot of men would have checked out. Like, nope, I'm dipping. I'm good. Um, but he didn't. And I think that, that shows a lot about Joseph's character. And then we fast forward a little bit. Um, and what's paralleling is the story of, of Mary. And what you have is this story of a girl interrupted. Right? So she's betrothed and you know has you know i'm sure dreaming of her wedding day like every girl does and um i'm sure that she's sitting you know visualized what her family and what her life would look like and you know she is visited by an angel and and says listen you know you you have the favor of god upon you and because of that this is what you know this is what's going to happen you're going to immaculately you know conceive this you know this child and her response is yes lord which is interesting to me because if if i'm sitting there in the pocket of that and i'm mary and i'm visited by this by this angel and i'm told that your entire life is about to be turned upside down i'm going to take where you're at and completely interrupt it um i'm not so sure that this felt like favor (laughs) do you know what i mean so when you look at the reality of what she was going to have to walk through, A, she didn't know how Joseph was going to respond. All that she knew is I'm going to be an unwed mother that optically this looks like I have had premarital sex, probably going to be slut-shamed, probably going to be ostracized, uh, ridiculed, um, and I, I may or may not ever have a, have a chance to be married and covered, which we know in that society was everything um the 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 life i thought i was going to have is going to look radically different my life is never going to be easy and she again had a choice um she could have been like not on board with that um it's a little bit much for me uh but she didn't her response was yes lord which I think, again, shows the character and the faith that she had in God because she has this information that this is what I'm going to require of you. Um, she didn't know how she was going to walk that out, um, but she had faith in a God that did have the answers to how 
to walk that out. Um, so we're going to put a pin in the story right here, and we're going to talk a little bit more about um, how the Christmas story, in my version, is a continuation of choices. We'll be right back. We hope you are enjoying today's show. We believe that God has given us a voice to impact communities and regions all over the world. If you would like to make sure that voice is heard, please partner with us today by visiting www.expressionradio.org and click donate. You can also text give by texting the dollar amount followed by the word radio to the number 84321. First time text givers, please choose Expression Church of Huntington when prompted. All gifts are tax deductible. Join us as we change the world. Welcome back, everybody. Before we cut to break, we were just talking a little bit about what this good news um, and this Christmas story looked like through the lens of both Mary and Joseph, who were actually kind of walking this out in real time. Um, when 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 we left off, we talked about how Mary almost seems like this girl interrupted how she had this idea of a life that she was going to going to lead. And, and God came in. And I was like, no, it's going to look radically different. Um, I'm going to be with you every step of the way, but it's not going to look like that. Um, and I've been to those places in my life where I had ideas or I had dreams or I had hopes or ambitions um, that there came a point when God just closed the door on them. And was like, it's just, that's just not going to, that's not in the cards for you. That's not what I had planned for you. And I had to mourn the loss of a life that I thought I was going to have. I remember talking to this lady um, who lost a child and it just, it it was devastating to her. Um, And she talked about how the life that she thought that she was going to have with this child, that she was, that life was going to look radically different. Um, And she was never going to be able to you know walk her daughter you know down the aisle or plan that wedding or all the things and i remember talking to a lady who whose child is is disabled um and the exact same narrative you know the life that i thought i was going to have the family i thought i was going to have looks incredibly different i didn't know that i was going to you know give birth to an autistic child I didn't know that I would, you know, forever have to worry about caring for this child. Life is just going to look radically different, right, than what I had expected for myself. And they had to mourn the loss of a life that they thought they were going to have. And then they were left at the end of that mourning process with questioning a God that they served. Like, how, God, how, how can I serve a God that allows things like this to happen? And when I'm talking, Marshall, to kids your age, that seems to be, and even older, that seems to be one of the things that gets tossed a lot. That if I'm honest, a lot of Christians, we duck it. We duck those questions because they're, they're hard questions. You know, why does God let bad things happen? Why does God allow children to be molested? And why does God allow people to be born with Down syndrome and autism? Why do these things happen if a good God is in control? And I think all of those answers can be found in this Christmas story. Um, when you look down a little further in the story, when it when Herod um, has sent the Magi to you know find where the this Messiah has been born, he's found with this. He's he, he's speaking to the intellectuals, the Magi, the well educated. 
which is interesting because they know astrology and they knew enough about the Bible, about the Word, not the Bible, but they knew about the Word and the prophecy to know what to look for. So they were very proficient in prophecy. Um, they knew that the star had appeared, and yet he found them at home, which is interesting to me. If I am waiting for a Messiah and I've seen the signs and I'm an, I'm an educated person, I'm well-versed in in um in in scripture and in prophecy why in the world had they not already started start, started making their way to bethlehem to see this child but they had not which lets me know that they were indifferent because sometimes i think that we can be so engrossed in knowledge and seeking understanding that we become indifferent to god and our relationship with him you're smiling. <laughs> was that funny? I was listening to the story. I, I was thinking about whenever you, it was probably a lot more important to Herod than it was the Magi finding him, right? For sure. He's going to be the king. Like, it's kind of like your boss or, you know, tell the kids, hey, get out there and clean up the driveway. It's a lot more important to us than it is to him. But why? That's the question. Why was it more important to Herod than the Magi? Because Herod was afraid that, the, that, that, that he was going to be the one deposed by the king. Right. So he was motivated out of fear, uh-huh. for sure. But you see what I'm scratching at? Yeah. What I'm scratching is that can happen to us today, that we can be so engrossed in word um, and be so well-versed in word that we become desensitized. Does that make sense? That we become indifferent. And what's interesting is I was talking to Grant about this yesterday. He ordered this book, and it's by this theologian, and <clears throat> I was kind of skimming it, and it was the art of power, and he gave all of the different rules of, of, of power. Um, and I said to him, I said, the interesting thing, Grant, is you have this, this book, and in 20 years, you will have someone come out and say that everything in this book was rubbish, because we, as, as, as humans, are wired to think that our generation has it all figured out. We've got all the answers, right? And the wonderful thing about, about worldly wisdom is it's all outdated, all of it. So what we, our generation, comes to find is to be, you know, um, nuggets of truth. Twenty years from now, as I said, will we'll be, you know, they'll criticize us for being, you know, you know, you know, silly or whatever. Um, and so, I think, and again, I, I go back to, I think that sometimes, you know, we can search down these rabbit holes of, of truth and wisdom and just kind of become desensitized and and that's that's kind of where the magi find themselves so herod he sends them out to you know to find this this messiah um they kind of outwit him and they don't return um when he finds out that they're not going to return he becomes incredibly angry um as doug pointed out he was a man that was motivated by um fear of losing power he was incredibly um um, egotistical man. Everything had to be grand and bigger than bigger than life. But he was at his root fearful of losing his power, and so he sends out this decree that he's going to kill everyone under the age of two months below in this region to to make sure that he expunges the world um, of his uh, predecessor. And the Bible talks about the wailing and the crying um, of Rachel, who was mourning for her child, her children that were no more. And I think about, we kind of glaze over that, but that was real. I mean, you had children that were murdered. That probably didn't feel like good news to the moms who had lost their children. They didn't, they didn't have a choice. Mary had a choice. Joseph had a choice. God covered them and gave them warning and was able to, you know, if you remember, they went to Egypt. But these 
people didn't have a choice in this couldn't have felt like good news to them. And I wonder if they're not sitting back in the pocket asking the same hard questions. How are we serving a God that would allow this to happen? How is that good news, but this 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 just happened? And I think that we do a really good job, as I said earlier, of talking about Jesus as the Redeemer and Jesus as the Healer and, and all of these things. But I don't think we do a really good job about talking about the bad news that happened way back in Genesis that required an answer with the good news. Does that make sense? And if you think back to um, Eve and what happened in the garden, and we all know about, you know, about eating the fruit and, you know, the, the, what ushered in death as a consequence, what we don't always highlight is that wasn't the first sin. The first sin of pride, of pride happened with Satan. Then Satan tempted Eve with the same pridefulness of that, that that knowledge that we talked about that pursuit of knowledge i just need to know um and it was the second sin of pride that ushered in death and so when you have people ask you you know gosh why why does god allow these things to happen the bible says that death is an enemy to god the word says that the last enemy to, to be defeated is, is is the enemy of death. God didn't create death in any of the, the six days and say this was good. That right? Death was something that happened as a consequence um, of a of a choice. A litany of choices that we have in life because every choice that we make matters. And what you see here is you have this instance where you have a generational sin, a generational curse that gets um, ushered in through Eve. But as I said, it wasn't the first. The first was an individual sin, an individual choice by Satan. But it wasn't corporate. Sin, um, sorry, Eve's sin became corporate. So from the time that Eve made the mistake on, everyone's going to die. Before that, before that time, there wasn't a death. There wasn't an expiration date on life, right? And so the good news of Jesus Christ and the Christmas story is that he came to redeem us from that separation from God and to redeem us from that death. Does that make sense? Because the one thing that we are always seeking with all of our knowledge is we always want to know the purpose. What is the purpose of our life? What's the, you know what I mean? And a lot of us try to lean into what we were created to do with our vocation or our, you know, intellect or whatever. But really the purpose of our life was for God to show himself to us. And he couldn't do that as long as there was a corporate sin between us. And so that's what the good news came to, was to reunite us with him so he could show us himself to us. And the second part of the purpose of our life is for him to use us as tools to show others who he is through us. But that's where the individual sin comes into play, right? Though our corporate sin has been forgiven and redeemed, and it doesn't matter whether you accept it or not, that just is. That just happened, right? There's still individual sin that can keep you separated from God. Does that make sense? Um, so the good news is that Jesus came to reunite us, even though sometimes we... I think part of part of part of part of my problem, part of my problem with talking with people, is 
people have this idea that if you if you come to become a follower of Christ, that that life will never be hard, and that's just not true. It's not true with any part of this Christmas story that I just laid out. There was not a whole lot of easy parts in any of this. Um, the only thing that it does promise is that you will have a Savior that will walk you through every step of it, um, and you will have redemptive moments along the way. Does that make sense? Not the traditional Christmas story, Sam. I don't think anyone expected the traditional Christmas story from me. <laughs> I don't know. But a really good one. Well, thank you. Yeah. Sometimes I just think that I, and I do this a lot, I think we, we really want to highlight the good parts of the gospel, as we should. But then when, when life gets tough, man, and people get on those stumbling blocks, then they, have, they, don't have, they have a hard time understanding, well, why is this happening? This doesn't feel like good news. So how do I find the goodness in it? <laughs> Does that make sense? It makes a lot know. of sense. You guys have anything you want to add? No, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> He's good. He's good. Well, thank you, loyal listeners of the table. We appreciate your time. And guys, I appreciate you coming. Let me gnaw on your ear a little bit today. I hope everyone has a wonderful Christmas. And we will see you next week. We hope you are enjoying today's show. We believe that God has given us a voice to impact communities and regions all over the world. If you would like to make sure that voice is heard, please partner with us today by visiting www.expressionradio.org and click donate. You can also text give by texting the dollar amount followed by the word radio to the number 84321. First time text givers, please choose Expression Church of Huntington when prompted. All gifts are tax deductible. Join us as we change the world.